Hey y'all, this is Mimi Kay in North Carolina, and you are listening to Sinister Sightings, brought to us by the dynamic duo from down south, Carrie and Donna, aka a paranormal chicks, or are they? And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 83. And you just heard Mimi doing that awesome intro, sounding like a game show host. And to answer her question, yes, we are a Paranormal Chicks. Thank you so much for that amazing intro, Mimi. And if you want to do an intro, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, the first one is called Hometown Killing Spree. Hello, ladies. I hope y'all are doing well and staying safe in this crazy world we are currently living in. I'm going to give you a little backstory on me and where I'm from before I get into my story. My name is Stephen, and I'm from West Virginia. I live just outside of Morgantown currently, but I have lived in Morgantown, West Virginia my whole life. Morgantown is the home to West Virginia University, so things can get kind of crazy around here sometimes. But it still has that small town feel, especially when you grow up here. The story I'm going to tell you about is a true crime story. It's one of those stories that you hear about in the news and think, why would someone do that? So this happened back in September of 2011. A kid I went to high school with shot and killed five people, one who was pregnant, Then he ran over an elderly woman, injuring her, and also injured a gas station employee before shooting and killing himself in Kentucky. The boy's name was Shane Riggleman. In school, he was a pretty laid-back kid. He was pretty smart and was pretty nice to about anyone who was nice to him. So when the news came out about the murders, a lot of people didn't believe he was actually the one. So from what we have been told, he had a previous relationship with a daughter who was six months pregnant, and there had been some argument, but still to this day, no one knows what really led him to do this. He drove to her parents' house outside of Morgantown in Mongolia County, and he shot and killed 49-year-old Charles Richardson III, his wife, 50-year-old Karen Richardson, her children, 17-year-old Kevin Hudson, and 22-year-old Katrina Hudson, and 30-year-old Robert Rabber. People said that Robert was Katrina's ex-boyfriend and that he might have fueled the situation. He then stole their Jeep and drove north into Pennsylvania to a friend's house where he talked to her and she could tell something wasn't right and she said she felt like he had done something to his ex so she called the police after he left. When he left, he got into an accident with an elderly woman, and when she got out to exchange information, he ran her over, injuring her. He kept driving south on I-79 through West Virginia. Then, about 30 miles from Charleston, West Virginia, he stopped at a gas station where he shot and wounded the employee. He then continued south into Kentucky, where a Kentucky state trooper attempted to pull him over for reckless driving. He pulled to the side of the road, then shot and killed himself before the officer came to his vehicle. After all of the info came out about the murders, people still didn't understand why. What could have happened to push someone that far? Shane had a history of crime and had an armed robbery charge, but it's not murder. News tore his social media apart. He had been denied entrance into the military, and they made him sound like a mentally ill murderer who just chose to go on a killing spree. I don't agree with what he did, but I knew a different side of him. I saw compassion and intelligence, but what I think it comes down to is you never know who people really are. So that's one of my true crime stories from my hometown. I have plenty of ghost stories that I've experienced while working with my paranormal group also. I love y'all's show, and those accents are, well, let's just say you got it. Keep up everything y'all do. Thank you for reading my story, Stephen. Holy crap. You really, truly don't. Like, you know somebody, but, like, everybody's capable of something. Yeah. Like, I know Donna, but 
I surprise her every episode, like the Ed Kimber episode. Yeah, she got a side to her. (laughs) But truly, you never know how someone's going to react in certain situations when they're pinned against the wall or what Mm -hmm. have you. I don't know that that was the case with this guy, but also if he was more of an acquaintance, then you really don't actually know him. You just know what they portray at school and that's that sort of thing. Yeah. Not that you can trust whatever they leave behind. If someone goes on a killing spree or something like this, I just want them to leave behind information. Why? Mm-hmm. I just need to know. We're nosy. Yes. All right. The next one is Sinister Sighting, a.k.a. Freaking My Freak. Hello again, ladies. I know I just sent in a story not too long ago, but I couldn't resist. I'm currently listening to the episode where y'all covered the Axeman of New Orleans. This is one of my favorite stories, and when I was in high school, I actually got to go visit the Coven House from the American Horror Story, which makes the story even more intriguing for me. Side note, the house is actually in Drew Brees' neighborhood, so it was a total fangirl day. I'm fangirl just listening to that. Right? Okay, on to the spooky. Last time, I talked about how my siblings would see spirits in my mom's house, so I'll keep on with a few more stories from my mom's house before getting into my apartment or my boyfriend's house. Before my parents got divorced, my dad would wake me up for school every morning in a very specific way. I would know he was coming because my room was right next to my parents and he had Black Betty, ridiculous, I know, as his alarm tone, and it would blare so loud at 5.30 every morning waking me up. However, I would pretend to still be asleep so he'd come, quote-unquote, wake me up. He used to tickle the tops of my feet and say, Time to get up, Haley Woo, my childhood nickname for my pawpaw. I believe I was in middle school and I hear Black Betty blaring loud enough to be a concert. I hear my dad get up, open my door, and tell me to get up and tickle my feet. So I roll over and no one's there. So of course, I shoot up and jump out of bed. I picked up my phone and it was 3.30 on the dot. I was so freaked out, but I quickly said a prayer and went back to sleep and never told anyone. Since we're on the topic of my dad, I'll tell one more that involves him. One morning when I was around six or seven, I want to say, my mom got me and my two brothers ready to go to a birthday party and my dad decided to stay home and do some yard work. A few hours later and the birthday party's over, so we head home. When we came in, my dad was sitting in the kitchen with a terrified expression on his face. My mom asked what happened and he says, did y'all just now get home? And my mom was like, oh yeah, you just watched us walk through the door. He told her an hour before we got there, he was out back burning leaves and looked up to see children running through the house. He assumed we were home and went in to say, hey, when he opened the door, he heard giggling and running around in our playroom. So he went in and of course we're not there. He wouldn't say anything else, and it's still a mystery as to what he could have seen or heard. Thanks so much for taking the time out of y'all's busy schedules to do this podcast and make such an amazing environment for all of us creepsters. You guys and Will keep up the great work because I don't have any idea what I'd do without this podcast in my life. At the beginning, that story made me smile because my dad used to wake me up in a very specific way every morning. Shut up, Donna. One time? Tell him. You have to tell him now. You opened the door. I was not going to open this door. I thought it while I was reading it, but I was like, no, I'm not going to open that door. But you opened your mouth. You said it. Now you have to say it. One time, my dad (laughs) lied to me and told me that the Easter Bunny came so that I would get up. (laughs) It was like October. (laughs) That motherfucker jumped straight up for that candy. Cadbury Bunny eggs. (laughs) I mean, hell, I would have too. Oh, God, I would have, too. I would have been so mad, though. I would have been so mad. But at first, whenever you were saying that, like, you rolled over and nobody was there, I was like, okay, well, you know what? It's probably, like, muscle memory. Like, you know, you felt something touch you because the music went off, and then you're like, no, it was 3 a.m. The music said the music did not go off. Yes. Well, actually, tell them how your dad would wake you up. It's cute. Well, he would just come in and sit on the edge of the bed and, like, pull you up. To where you're like long sitting and then you would just like lay on his chest and still be kind of asleep and he would just hug you and say good morning and then he would go get your breakfast fix and we'd like mosey into the living room to watch the cartoons and when we were sitting there waiting on him to get breakfast finished he would like call the dog inside and he whistled the same way every single day. <laughs> 
And then we'd go in there and mom would fix our hair. Aww. I want to know what your dad really saw, too. Yes. That's so creepy. When you think you've seen, or you know you've seen something, but it's not there. And then the person that you thought you saw comes in or calls you and they're not like, I thought you were in the next room, but you're not here yet. Mm-hmm. Keep the stories coming, Haley, because apparently you got a lot of them. So just keep them coming. Okay. Hey, y'all. I recently started listening to your podcast and just got to say, I'm basically obsessed. I wanted to share an experience that I had when I was about 18 while visiting the Chattanooga Choo Choo Hotel. This was before I really understood my empath slash intuitive abilities. So needless to say, I was scared shitless. All right, here we go. Warning, this is a bit lengthy. Sorry. I started becoming intrigued by the paranormal as a child for no discernible reason. It was almost this magnetic pull, even though I had never experienced anything. When the fascination began, my mom got me the book 13 Alabama Ghosts and Jeffrey. I'm from Mobile, which only added fuel to the fire. That's where I was born. Fast forward to me being 18, still haven't experienced much other than the occasional dream. My mom and I took a road trip to meet my aunt in Chattanooga, who was there on business for a few days. I was so excited when we pulled up to the hotel because, one, it's gorgeous. Two, I found out my aunt booked me and my mom one of the original train cars to sleep in, which sounded fucking awesome. As we're walking up to the train car, I've got a smile on my face and can't wait to see the inside. The second I stepped over the threshold, my stomach twisted into knots, and the atmosphere was overwhelmingly gloomy. I knew something was off about it, but I didn't have much time to think about it because we were off to the aquarium. We spent the whole day out and about enjoying the city. Finally, everyone was tired, and then I remembered. Fuck, I have to sleep in that train car tonight. Fuckity fuck. When we get there, it's the same feeling of sadness and high anxiety. I try to brush it off, so I'm laying in bed watching LA Inc., and of course, my mom is already passed out. I keep seeing these flickers of light by the foot of the bed, but I attribute it to my eyes adjusting from watching TV. I decided to roll over on my left side and try to get some sleep. As I'm laying there with my right arm outside of the comforter because it's summer in the south, I feel the presence of someone walk up to the side of my bed, lean down, and basically just stare at my face. What in the actual fuck? I'm freaking out, and I know now what I always wished would happen to me is now happening. And gotta say, wasn't a fan. So in my mind, I say, go away, you're scaring me. Holy shit, it worked. But not for long. The same thing happened two more times, and every time she got closer and closer to my face, almost like she was studying me. In my mind's eye, I could see that it was a woman with long brown hair. Eventually, she graduated to lightly caressing my arm and then mumbled something in my right ear, which sent a wave of electricity shooting over my scalp. At this point, I woke my mom up bawling and told her what was going on. She agreed to haul ass as soon as the sun came up and offered to stay awake so I could try and sleep. Well, I guess me ignoring her several attempts at getting my attention pissed her off, so she decided to throw a temper tantrum in the bathroom by shuffling things around on the counter and making noise. We booked it first thing in the morning and we'll never go back to that hotel. Unfortunately, I don't remember the train car number because this was 10 years ago. Ever since this experience, I think it unlocked my abilities and the medium confirmed that I am an empath. More stories to come. Thanks for reading. Love y'all and creep it real. KP from Pensacola, Florida. The whole studying you, like being so close, nope. I know. Well, and you described it so perfectly, though, because like I always wonder, can you just see them? Like, how do you know what they, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like how they said, like, in their mind's eye, they knew what they looked like. Yeah. But, like, how do you know that's what you're seeing versus your imagination? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, the next one is Strange Feelings at McDonald's. Hi, ladies. Please leave me anonymous for this. This is short and isn't exactly paranormal or true crime, but it was strange, and I've always wondered if anyone else has experienced this. Picture it. About 12 years ago, I was at a McDonald's with my husband. 
Just a normal time, middle of the day, no drinking, no drugs, no nothing. Two guys sat at the booth behind ours, where I was facing one of them and my husband and the other guy were back to back. As soon as I saw the guy facing me, I felt intensely that we were supposed to be together. So much so that I felt if he asked me to leave with him, I would go. I'd just up and ditch my husband, who I was and am very happy with, and leave with this random guy. Thankfully, I didn't actually have to make that decision, though. He didn't look familiar. He wasn't particularly good-looking. I mean, he wasn't ugly, just average, and we didn't even speak to each other. He ended up leaving about the same time we did, and I looked for him everywhere I went for weeks afterwards, even though I couldn't say if I would have recognized him, but I never saw him again. But this has never happened to me before and hasn't happened since. Any thoughts? No, I don't I don't know. I've never felt like that pull, like that much. I feel like out of the two of us, you would be the one that like got that instant connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay, this ties into it, but also into your story from this week. But yes, because it's one of those things I'd be like, oh my God, intense feelings. Gotta go on that impulse. You know what I mean? But you know, like, hmm, all these other episodes where I'm like, no, I wouldn't go into a cult. Like, I wouldn't fall for that. Every fucking time that there's, like, a con artist or anything, I'm like, I don't think of him as a con man, remember? Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, I would go into a cult. <laughs> like, I would totally do it. Yeah. <sighs> I was like, I proved myself wrong. Like, I thought about that, and I was like, I've got to bring that up. Like, I'm stupid. <laughs> I would. Well, I mean, I feel like the first night with Colby, it was like a connection, but not like a, we didn't even speak connect. You know what I mean? Like, you just like laid out. I just, I don't, I've never had that. So I don't know. I mean, I've had like crushes at, I'll tell you what, we called him Fred Flintstone at breakfast. He was my breakfast guy. You did. You loved him. I fucking, like, it was a, it was a connection on my part. Not, definitely not on his because he never looked my way because he was eating his cereal while walking to his table. Is that not, hello. Or he would get his plate and he would eat his bacon on the way to his yes. uh, table. And he was a baseball player, I think. I think so. So, anyway. Mm. Those pants, right? Ooh. Mm. So, I don't know, to answer your question. I don't, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's possible. Yeah. Wouldn't that be some shit, though, if he's like, I don't know, like, if he felt that, too, and then was just like, come with me. That sounds like a fucking romance novel that I am here for. Yeah. But, like, your husband would be like, what the fuck? Like, say no. Like, what? And be like, deuces. See, I'm a rule follower, so that gives me all kinds of anxiety. <laughs> well, I definitely want to hear people's thoughts on this. Have y'all had this? And if you find him, let us know what happens. Hi, Carrie and Donna. I just want to start off by saying... You two are such a breath of fresh air in the podcast world. I absolutely love listening to you crack each other up, and you remind me so much of me and my best friend. I've been binging your podcast ever since I found you a few months back, and I'm low-key panicking as I get called up because what am I supposed to do when I don't have y'all in my ears eight hours a day? Okay, so now to the story. This one is paranormal. Sorry, Carrie, the closest I've ever been to true crime is when my entire high school held an investigation because a bullet casing was found in the hallway in Illinois in deer season where we had a hunting and fishing club. Picture this. In what was probably around 2008, my family was in California on summer vacation. And like any other white suburban people, we absolutely visited Disneyland. We were staying at a Marriott a few blocks away from the park because while we love a good trip to Disney, my parents weren't about to sell their organs to the black market to afford those official Disney hotel rates for a family of five. The layout of the room was a suite of sorts, where there was a bedroom with two queen beds and then a living room with a sleeper couch. The two rooms were connected by a set of French doors that we kept open the entire time. My parents had bed one, my sister and I in bed two, and my brother, as the youngest, has never slept on a real hotel bed in his life and was on the couch bed. After a long day in the park, we all went back to the hotel and immediately crashed with a kind of tiredness that 
only 4,000 steps and eating nothing but pretzels and Dole Whips can bring. Give me all, well, pretzels, but those Dole Whips. Oh my goodness. In the middle of the night, I woke up suddenly. Through the French doors, I could see the sleeper couch with my brother on it, and on the wall above the couch, I saw a shadow of what looked like a slow-moving, curling smoke. It was in what I want to describe as like a tidal wave shape, where it was rounded over top with tendrils creeping down. It looked like it was going to grab my brother, but I was so scared I told myself it wasn't real and went back to sleep. The next morning, while making the most of that continental breakfast, I was ready to fight a bitch for a spot at that waffle machine. I told my family what I saw, and my sister and dad looked at me shocked. They said they saw the same fucking thing. We were in a full panic mode, and that's when my mom joins us and asks us what's going on. We tell her, and this is where this story goes absolutely off the rails. That same night, my mom had a dream where her aunt, Bev, who she grew up extremely close to, was dying. In the dream, Bev was extremely frail, almost emaciated looking, and was laying in bed beckoning my mom to come closer. My mom did, and Bev grabbed her arm. My mom immediately knew something was wrong and tried to back away, but Bev's grip was unnaturally strong. She was stuck. Bev then began reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards over and over again. I'm not sure how the dream ended, but that was enough for me. There was no doubt to me or any of my family that these experiences are connected somehow. We all refer to this as the black smoke incident, and it's our favorite topic for us to bring up at any gatherings after a few of my dad's cocktails. I have never experienced something that spooky and do not plan on ever experiencing something that spooky ever again. I hope y'all find this as creepy as I do, Chloe. And as I know you love your bedroom humor, I have to share that after one unfortunate misspelling, my nickname through high school and college was Chode. <laughs> I knew Donna was going to crack up at that. That's like her new her new favorite word. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Damn Chloe, that's crazy how I mean y'all really did all experience the same thing. Yes. <laughs> Synchronicity, because I really just learned what chode means. Um, like it was during uh the pumpkin carving thing. I was going to say, I feel like we've told them that. Yeah, the pumpkin carving live. Whew, I learned what that was. And I, oh, oh, God, Chode is, yes, mm, that is very unfortunate for you, Chloe, but I'm so glad you said that. Whew, okay, sorry, back to your scary story, because it is fucking scary. Was Bev sick or anything around that time? Yeah, why Bev? Yeah, like, we need more insight on this. Also, did what your dad and sister described, like, was it exactly like what you saw, too? Or was it just, like, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, And was your brother, like, blissfully unaware of all of this? You know who that'd be? Tiffany. It's so fucking true. <laughs> I would be the one that had the dream, and you would be the one that woke up and saw it. Yes. Yes. And Carrie would be the one who's making us waffles in the morning at the breakfast. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hey y'all, I have been listening to your podcast for just over a year, and I just got the nerve to send in my first Sinister Sightings. Cute, creepy cackle. <laughs> have you been practicing that? No, it just came out. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, Carrie, but... uh. <laughs> Did you see my eyes? <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know. It just comes out when it wants to. <laughs> I wasn't. I was not prepared for that. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, that's my sinister sighting right there, y'all. That right there. Whew. All right, back to the story. 
I'm from New Orleans, so we're basically neighbors. Hurricane Katrina hit the exact day I was supposed to start college, so my late teens and early 20s were a little crazy. I have a lot of New Orleans post-Katrina stories, but I'll share those another time. This story takes place in 2007, two years after Katrina. Isn't it weird that our brains just think of things before or after a traumatic event? Mm-hmm. Before and after Katrina, before and after COVID. Oh, please let there be an after. In 2007, the city of New Orleans closed down all of the housing projects in the city, which ultimately resulted in lawsuits from the ACLU and ultimately, ultimately, the gentrification of several New Orleans neighborhoods. When they closed the housing projects down, they put up eight-foot fencing all around to prevent people from trespassing. Well, one night, I was going to pick up my friend for a showing of Jesus Christ Superstar, Okay, yeah, that seems like it came out of left field, but I promise it will make sense. For those of you who don't know, Jesus Christ Superstar is a hippie rock opera from the 1970s. Us New Orleans love our costumes, so my friend and I were costuming to the event. I was decked out in a toga, glitter, neon makeup, and a plastic crown of thorns. My apologies for the sacrilege, but it makes sense if you've seen the rock opera. Also, I was like 21 and it was 2007. Of course, there was going to be some weird makeup and glitter. So I'm all dressed up and heading to pick my friend up at her apartment. I took a wrong turn and called my friend for directions. GPS wasn't really a common thing then. I'm on the phone and I realize that my wrong turn has left me right in front of the boarded up housing projects. As I'm driving, I tell my friend, oh my God, I see people walking around in the closed down projects. And that's when I saw it. I saw a leg lifelessly dangling outside of a busted window on the second story. How I made it to my friend's house after this was a blur. She said all of the blood had left my face and I was as pale as a ghost. I told her, I think I just saw a dead body. After the shock wore off, I realized that I had to call the cops. Yeah, I know I really should have thought of that sooner, but I called the NOPD and let them know that there was a suspected dead leg hanging out of a window in the closed-down housing projects. The police officers called me back and asked me to meet them at the site of the dead leg. I told them there was no way I was going to go and sit there next to a dead body and wait for them. They then asked me to meet them at a nearby gas station. So me and my friend, all dressed up in glitter and togas, met the NOPD at the gas station. An officer approached my car, took one look at us, shook his head, and said, follow me. I was on the phone with the police as they drove ahead of me with their spotlight shining at the second stories of buildings. And that's when I saw it again. Only this time, it looks a lot less like a dead leg and a lot more like a sneaker tied to a curtain blowing in the wind. Uh-oh. The officer on the line said, ma'am, is this what you saw? Me. Yes. Have a good night, ma'am. That's when I tucked my tail between my legs and got my ass out of that situation. So, yeah, we had some laughs about it, and I definitely wasn't allowed to live it down for years. Okay, so that's all I have for you for now, but I wanted to thank you for making my days working in a lab completely bearable, even if people look at me funny when I burst out laughing out of nowhere. I will send in more stories about post-Katrina life soon. Creep it real, and don't find fake dead bodies while dressed as a glittery messiah, Whitney. P.S. Don't read this on air because I don't deserve the shout out, but I really wanted to thank y'all for sharing your friendship with the world. You gave me the confidence that I needed to start a podcast with my husband, who is also my best friend. Barf, I know. We're having so much fun and mostly just do it to entertain our friends. But I just wanted to let y'all know you are an inspiration to us. If you like crude humor, cults, diseases, and aliens, you may get some laughs from us at We Want to Know podcast. Don't listen to We Want to Know dot dot dot. It's a parenting podcast that started like a week before we were ready to upload our first three episodes. Do you know how many things like that an OPD probably gets? Oh, gosh. I can't wait to hear those post-Katrina stories. All I can think about is that story I covered, Zach and Addie. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, gosh, if there's stuff like that. Well, but even like, I mean, so many people passed. Yeah. Staying in their homes. I mean, think about just going down there and seeing all the 
X's and stuff on the oh, doors and you know yeah. what I mean. And of course I read that on air because you do deserve the shout out. So again, it's We Wanna Know Podcast. This one is called True Crime and Boston Marathon Bombing Experience. Hello, you lovely paranormal chicks. I've been binging y'all's podcast for the past few weeks. I was going to wait until I called up to write in, but tonight I realized I still have over 100 episodes left, even though I've been listening to y'all nonstop. And let's be real, I'm just not that patient, and I can't wait that long. I love your podcast. Thanks for all the work you put into it. I know it's not easy. My friend Sarah and I have a podcast for step-parents. Stepping Forward Podcast, if you feel like plugging us, please ignore if not. It's so much fun, and it's a lot of work, especially for people with full-time jobs slash kick-ass careers. Just know someone in Utah loves you and appreciates you. I am a misfit, feminist, Mormon wife, mommy, and speech-language pathologist. I love watching people's faces when I tell them I'm obsessed with true crime and paranormal stories. It recently helped me connect with a teen client my team was struggling with. When I asked him where he'd like to go visit, he said Winchester Mystery House. I was like, oh, I got this. The kid is singing the song of my people. Anyway, sorry about my little tangent time. I've been thinking a lot about what to send in. I tend to get hung up on my paranormal stories. I have several, but I recently realized I have some pretty big true crime stories as well. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that these experiences are true crime because for me, they're part of my story. I'll share three stories. Gosh, I hope this isn't too long. If it is, sorry, not sorry. First, a story we thought was paranormal but turned out to be true crime. I'm the youngest of five kids. At this time, early 90s, my oldest brother was living abroad in Portugal. My next oldest brother was living in Colorado to play sports during his senior year of high school, and my parents were out of town for a church thing for the day. That left 8 or 9-year-old me and my 13-year-old sister in the care of our oldest sister, who was about 16. We, of course, made frosting and were eating it straight from the mixing bowl with spoons. We're all three extra-large pizzas, if you couldn't guess. And we were watching Unsolved Mysteries because, of course, we were. For Christmas the previous year, my uncle had given our family intercoms you can plug into the wall and set to a certain channel to talk to each other. This was apparently because my mom complained to him about having to go down to the basement to wake up grumpy teenagers every morning. The intercoms had a talk button you had to hold down to talk, a hold button that you could press once and then keep talking without holding it until you press it again and a call button that made the other intercom beep while you held it down. Sometimes truckers passing through town would come through on the intercom. At first, that scared us, but we got used to it. So when we heard the static of the intercom at first that night, we jumped because we were freaked out from the unsolved mysteries, and then we laughed at ourselves. However, when the call button started ringing seconds later, we were far less amused. That never happened without someone actually pushing the call button. And it was very different from the ringing slash calling sound that the truckers' radios make. It beat for a long time, and intermittently, we could tell that the hold button was also on. We could hear a rustling sound between the beeps. We all looked at each other and ran down the hall to our parents' room. My sisters tried to lock us in there, but my parents didn't have working locks on any of the doors inside of our house, only the exterior. My sisters discussed that there had to be a person in the basement, that the call button never rang on its own. My sisters, rather than calling 911, decided that trying to reach our parents would be wiser. We couldn't reach them. No cell phones yet, and they were on the road. They decided we should arm ourselves to fight off whoever it was. Seriously, I don't know why we didn't call the cops. I got my 35mm camera to flash the person in the eyes if they tried to come up the stairs. Like, what was I thinking? Did I steal that from a movie? My next oldest sister had a broom. My oldest sister took my dad's handgun down from the top of the closet and loaded it. Yikes, I know. At that moment, my anxiety bladder kicked in. I see you, Carrie. And I demanded to use the bathroom. They sent me into the bathroom while they made a plan. I left the door open so I could hear them talking. They decided we would approach the stairs. They'd kick the door open, and I would flash the camera 
One sister would swing the broom, and the other would aim the gun, ready to use if needed. My morbid little ass thought, at least if we're killed, they would have a picture of the murderer. I walked out of the bathroom and stood next to my sister's. At that moment, the gun went off in my sister's hands. It went through my dad's closet and then through the bathroom where I had just been. We barely had time to register our own shock when we heard a series of loud thuds and bangs downstairs, including the banging of the exterior basement door. Someone had really been down there and they were scared away by the gunshot. My parents came home shortly after that. I'm pretty foggy on the details after that because my mom put me to bed in my parents' room and then joined my dad in talking with my sisters and walking through the basement. I for sure was not sleeping, though. Who in the hell can sleep after that? I could hear my parents lecturing my sisters about how one of us could have been killed, which, seriously, I don't know how we weren't. I do know they found the exterior basement door open. The latch was broken, so it was hard to shut as well as a window was open in my brother's room, and the intercom call button down there was broken. It looked like someone had stepped on it. I don't think my parents involved the police, but we're pretty sure an older guy my sister had broken up with, on advice from my parents, had broken into the basement through the window he knew my siblings used to sneak out sometimes. The intercom in the basement was on the floor of the hall outside my sister's bedroom door close enough to the other bedroom door to also wake up my brothers when they were home. It looked like he stood on it while going into her room and didn't realize he had set it off. Some of the stuff in her bedroom was moved around, but nothing was missing that we could tell. It's hard to say because her philosophy has always been that the floor is her biggest shelf. The thing I remember most is watching my dad go through his closet the next day. The bullet had gone through more than three-quarters of his clothes hanging in there. He had to throw them all out. He's such a calm, quiet guy that he didn't complain, but he has always taken really good care of his clothes. He used to be in the Army, and he grew up on a farm learning to value their clothes because it was hard to acquire. Watching him quietly pile up his perfectly hung clothes to be thrown out was honestly super depressing. To this day, I still have nightmares about not being able to lock the basement door in that old house. There are always zombies or enemy soldiers trying to come kill me and my family. My parents sold that house about eight years ago. The second story is shorter because I don't remember all the details, but I do now consider it a lot of why I'm obsessed with true crime. When I was in middle school, my choir teacher, who was also my private voice instructor, sat all of us rowdy 8th graders down and taught us a lesson about abusive relationships. She told us a truly harrowing story of her sister's abusive marriage. I don't recall all the details, but after she left this man, he stalked her. He ended up finding her and attacking her with a knife. He stabbed her several times in the belly, chest, neck, and face. My choir teacher described this in detail. Excruciating, painful detail. I never heard of class of teenagers be so quiet, and one of my jobs is in secondary schools. If I'm recalling correctly, her sister somehow survived, but had to have several surgeries, including reconstructive surgeries on her face. I have never forgotten about the warning signs she told us. There were also kids in the situation, and I think I've blocked out what happened with them. I can't recall even one detail about them. Anyway, this story has saved my bacon a few times, and now I'm grateful to be married to an amazing human and not an abusive shithead, which nearly happened twice. My final story is that I was at the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. I was living in Boston at the time, about to start grad school. I had been living there for about two years working as a nanny. Prior to that, I lived in Washington, D.C., One of my friends from D.C. came to stay with me during the marathon and brought her friend and former sister-in-law who was running the marathon. The sister-in-law, whom I'll call Elle, quickly became my friend. We clicked immediately. I'll try to make a really long story a bit shorter. On Marathon Monday, I dropped Elle off at the Boston Common to catch her shuttle out to the starting point early in the morning. I took her phone and extra stuff she didn't want to store on site or run with. 
Mid-morning, a group of us got together and made signs and then drove out to the halfway point to cheer Elle on. We managed to miss her, but the runners have tracking chips on their bibs during the race, so I received a text that she had passed us a few minutes after the fact. We loaded up and drove home, then hopped on the T, Boston subway system, and rode into the city to catch her at the finish line. When we got off the tee, we accidentally came up on the opposite side of Boylston Street, the main race route, than we had intended to. We debated going back underground and coming up on the other side, but it was so crowded and we were afraid we would miss L again. We decided to continue along the route on the south side of Boylston Street. Near the finish line, foot traffic was nearly at a standstill. I could see that across the street, it was at a complete standstill. The foot traffic was completely blocked off on that side. We got a text that Elle had finished the race. We had missed her again. My roommate and I both got the feeling to take a back alley to try to get off the race route so we could find Elle in her runner pickup area. We weren't sure it would let us out the other side. Thankfully, it did. We had extra people in tow and we felt responsible. We found Elle at her runner station and gave her extra clothes and her phone. She was freezing. For those who don't know, apparently you get really cold after you run for several hours and then stop. I didn't know either and really didn't care to find out personally. I'll take the runner's word for it. Anyway, we were a bit away from the finish line and starting toward the tea station when we heard a really loud boom. My roommate and I looked at each other confused. That was not a normal Boston sound. Then it happened again and I had a sinking feeling in my stomach. I knew we needed to get out of there. Apparently, my roommate felt the same way. We started hurting our group a little faster. Poor Elle had just run a marathon, and we still made her move. Pretty soon, we saw non-marathoners running. We smelled sulfur. A fire truck was trying to get through a crowd of people standing stupidly in the street. We stopped to herd those people out of the fire truck's way. We could hear the sirens from every direction. People were screaming and yelling. We still didn't know what had happened. We heard someone say, 60 people are down. At the corner of Stewart and Arlington, there was a man standing by a parked news van on his cell phone. We asked if he knew what happened. He said, explosion at the finish line. In that moment, I knew there had been two explosions. I heard both of them. I shot a text message to my mom and dad in Utah. You're going to hear reports of an explosion in Boston. We are okay. Love you. Then I posted on Facebook. Explosion at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. I am fine. Trying to get home. After that, I couldn't get anything else through. My signal dropped and my phone died very quickly. We tried to get on the tee, but every station was closed. We eventually ended up catching a bus. On the bus, we met a man who had been at his first day of work in Boston. He said he had no idea how to get home. He happened to live less than a mile from us, so we were able to help him get home. At one point, a marathon runner got onto the bus. He didn't have a pass. The bus driver told him he couldn't ride without a pass. The man yelled, I was running away from a fucking bomb. I didn't have a pass with me. I offered to tap my pass to pay for the man. The bus driver weighed me away and told the man to stay on. About a mile from my house, the bus stopped and said it would go no further. All public transit was closing. We ended up walking the rest of the way home, which would have been fine, but Elle had just run a marathon and it was uphill. Poor woman. When we got to my house, my roommate and I drove our bus friend home, the one who had been working his first day, and then we got food for everyone. Apparently, my parents hadn't informed my siblings I was okay. My siblings hadn't thought to check social media, so I had several panicked voice and text messages to respond to when I got home, when I got my phone plugged in. I thank God every day for the feelings my roommate and I had that kept our group safe. I'll attach pictures, but had we gone the way we had intended, we would have been stuck in a dead end right by the bomb. As it was, we passed them from across the street. I have survivor's guilt. Hardly a week goes by that I don't wonder about the woman who asked me for directions to the finish line after we walked away from it through the alley. I sent her right to the bombing. 
I also lived pretty close to the Watertown site where the younger brother of the bombers was caught after a citywide manhunt. I was on lockdown with my three roommates. Let me tell you, it is terrifying to wake up in the morning to a text from your city telling you to stay indoors, lock everything, and stay away from windows. My friends were sending pictures of SWAT outside their house searching for him, and I'm like, get the F away from windows, please. Anyway, those are some of my true crime stories. I still have PTSD, and I yell at people for leaving any sort of baggage unattended. I report it every time. Stop leaving your shit places, people. On the one-year anniversary of the bombing, I was at a 7-Eleven near the bombing site, and some moron left a huge black duffel bag unattended in one of the aisles. I lost it and yelled through the whole store that there was an unattended bag and that if it wasn't claimed immediately, I would call the police. Thankfully, I was not alone. This huge dude, and you know he was big because if my 5'11 fabulous curvy booty was calling him large, looked at me and said, and I'll call them too. This man came scurrying from three aisles over and picked it up. I was like, too soon, man. And the big dude was like, not cool, dude. Not cool. Do you know what day it is? I sort of felt bad because I think he was homeless and had all of his stuff, but they had an area at the front of the store for that where the clerk could observe. So yeah, I guess the silver lining is that I am a lot more observant and outspoken now. I'm way more likely to say fuck politeness than I ever was before. Look at me rambling. Anywho, love you ladies. Keep up your awesomeness because you guys save my sanity on the daily. Creep it real. Love, Rachel. Damn, Rachel. I cannot even imagine what that was like. No. And it is. It's one of those things that people are where they're supposed to be, like, in the universe. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that you and your roommate both had those feelings. I don't know. It's crazy. And I bet those people who you helped get on the bus and find their way home, they probably think about you all the time in the same way that you think of the lady that asked you for directions. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Also, that is scary as shit about that person being in the basement. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But it's kind of like good how the gun went off, didn't hurt anyone. But it scared the person away without y'all being right there by the person. Because that Scooby-Doo plan y'all had was not going to no, work. I, I really love the camera, though. Like, did I get that from somewhere? Like, I'm going to flash. Like, yes. Oh, that would be my logic, honestly. Like Donna said, we're glad nobody was hurt with the gun. Because that could have been really bad. Oh, my gosh. Also, though, like, how you said, like, things just happen... Had y'all not had those intercoms, y'all wouldn't have known. known, Because accidentally stepped on it, didn't know that it was, you know, like, hey, you have to push that button to do that. So someone is down there. Like, oh, my God. That's so true. All right. Last one. Hey, ladies. I've written in the past about my haunted house and my son saying creepy things. Since we now have been in quarantine here on Long Island for 14 weeks and I finished all the chocolate in the house, I figured it was time to send in another story. My son and I moved into our apartment, which is in my grandmother's house, when I was pregnant with my second son. My now ex-husband joined us a few months in, but these first months when we were alone, we had a lot of activity. Last time I wrote and told you about my son quote-unquote, seeing me in the closet at 3 a.m. Well, here's another story from that time period. But first, a short backstory. My grandmother has lived in this house since the 1960s. I grew up hearing stories from my mother and my aunt about strange things they experienced when they were growing up here. They used to see a tall man in a top hat. My mom saw him in the reflection in the bathroom mirror. My aunt saw him walking down the hallway And they also heard phantom footsteps on the stairs and random bumps and talking. One time, when visiting, my older sister saw the top hat man, which we called Abe. But time passed and we soon forgot all about it. So, back to my story. My son was playing in his room when I heard him yell for me. I go into the bedroom and I ask him what's going on. 
and he starts pointing to the corner of the room and saying, you can't see him. He's standing right there. My stomach flipped and I said, no, I don't see anything. He said, mom, he is standing right in the corner. He's tall and he's wearing a top hat. I summoned all my courage because that's what you have to do when you have kids and walked to the corner and said, baby, there is no one here. My son, getting more and more agitated, says, you are standing right in front of him. Cue me about to have diarrhea. I reached my hand into the corner to show him that nothing is there. And let me tell you, my hand froze. It was a cold, icy feeling, but almost damp. My fingertips even tingled a little bit. It was horrible. Like I could throw up just typing this right now. I quickly asked my son if he wanted to go play outside, which he was happy to do. I'm glad to say that was our only experience with Abe, but I think since I challenged him the way I did, he didn't bother us too much after that. But we have had plenty more experiences that I can share. I'll write more once I finish eating all the ice cream. Thank you for all you do. You have made this quarantine a little more bearable. Creep it real, Jen. This is why I can't have kids right here. Yeah, you got to stick your hand in basically a, a ghost freezer. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Mm-mm. My hand only goes on ghost stick. I can't with you. <laughs> but seriously, I'd be like, go show me where he is. <laughs> right? That's what I would do. <sighs> no, I'd be the lazy one to be like, what? What do you want? Like mm-hmm. yelling from the other room. No, you come here. <laughs> Oh, God, that would be me. But, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that y'all haven't had more experiences with him after that. So kudos to you for being the, you know, badass mom that you are. And also how amazing that kids are resilient, but also they just forget shit. You know what I mean? It's like he is standing in the corner. Oh, my God. It's like, no, nothing's here. Do you want to go play outside? Yep. You know, like, okay, and the day is fine. Because kids, for the most part, if you can give them a reason, they'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, these stories were so good. Yes, and thank y'all for all of the kind words about us and the podcast and everything. We we really do appreciate it. We're terrible with compliments, so we don't like to say it a lot, but thank you. Yeah, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> If y'all have any of the thank you videos, you know this. Very awkward. We really do appreciate it. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Sending in your stories. Keep them coming. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com is where you send it. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.